it's just fun, honestly, being able to play games in your job and then being able to take real world problems and make them into games. It's just something new and different that not a lot of people do. From the McGill International Review, I'm Victoria Pond, and you're listening to MIR Meets. Today, I sit down with McGill alumni Rihanna Prasoviev, a junior war game designer and analyst for the Canadian Joint Warfare Center, to discuss the in and outs of what it means to design war games and her experience in this very cool field. And here's Brianna. Hi, Brianna. Thank you for being here with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Just to start, um, to let the people in on the conversation, what do you explain? How do you explain a war game? What is a war game? Uh, so that's a really interesting question because there is no one agreed upon definition of what is a war game. Uh, a war game is really, uh, I would describe it as a model which you can play out in order to understand a problem better. Uh, more typically though, it's often described as a process by which you play a thinking opponent uh, in order to understand and play out a problem. And how is this applied to political science? Uh, so in political science, uh, there's a huge spectrum of different types of war games. Uh, political science, although typically in our degrees, we mostly focus on uh, issues of a strategic nature, such as uh, terrorism, counterterrorism operations. Uh, we think about power politics and things like uh, nuclear uh, disarmament. These are all things that can be played out in games. So they're strategic games, for example, uh, you know, a lot of people would probably probably have played Risk before. Uh, Risk is a very good example. Or in uh, McGill, uh, Rex Brynan has developed games such as Isis Crisis, uh, which uh, is a way to illustrate what it was like for allies after they went into Mosul and what it was like for Isis to, um, to build up and then lose their caliphate. Uh, so, there's a lot of strategic issues in political science, which can be gamified, uh, as well as uh, the military and conflict is a subset within political science that we often don't discuss. So I work with the military. So a lot of actual um, war games in terms of playing at war uh, are also relevant to the field of political science. Could you take me through the process of how do you design a war game? How do you decide what works, what doesn't work, and then what are the steps you take? Yeah, I can do that. So it's a it's a big process. Uh, so first of all, you want to think about what you're trying to understand and what your problem is. Uh, so if you want to understand, let me think of an example. Say. Uh, a conflict has just broken out in a country that we call Carnuba. And this is an island country in uh, Latin America, which Canada trades with a lot. And it is for the Canadian politicians, as well as the Canadian uh, national defense advisors to think about what Canada do in this situation. 
So you could start by thinking, okay, what's the scenario? So you draft the scenario in terms of, um, you know, who are the players and the players are the parties involved. So you've got the country, uh, which is in conflict. Then you also have Canada. And then you also have maybe other non-state organizations, such as the United Nations, or in uh, a lot of different continents of the world. You know, you have the African Union, which plays a big role. Uh, you might have uh, third parties that are uh, have stakes, such as oil industries and oil companies. You might have um, NGOs which are involved and have a stake in the conflict. And then you might wanna break down those roles even further. So for instance, within a uh, setting such as this, uh, country in conflict, it's often just not the government that's involved, it's the rebels, uh, it's the population. And then within Canada as well, you wanna think about how people within Canada might have different interests or different ways of approaching the situation. So you might break Canada down uh, even more by uh, representing the Canadian Armed Forces, representing uh, the Canadian uh, Ministry of Finance, and you might also represent uh, the PMO's office. And once you've started to figure out who your players are, you can then start thinking about, uh, okay, what do I wanna get out of this game? So if we're taking it from an island country, uh, which has recently erupted in a sort of civil war, you wanna think about what Canada would wanna do. So you add different elements into this scenario, uh, which may or may not be happening. So things like a refugee population, and you wanna think about, okay, is this something Canada would get involved in or not? And you, construct a scenario in a way that as it plays out, these are questions that the players are gonna to have to think about and ask themselves. Uh, similarly, you know, Canadian government officials will wanna think about at what point or at what threshold do we wanna get actively involved? And at what point before that, do we really wanna to stick to things like mediation and negotiation and facilitating those processes? So you add in things potentially that could feasibly happen. So things like uh, ethnic cleansing going on in the country. It's really going back to what you want to figure it out and what you want to stress out in a situation and then developing a scenario which will allow players and the participants to think about that. In addition to that, it's really important to figure out how you plan to represent these in the game and model them in the game and how you wanna measure them. So for instance, uh, if you're trying to measure conflict within a society uh, or if you're trying to measure uh, power dynamics, you might want to think about something uh, like a game mechanic such as an escalation trap where uh, within the country, there's a theory of war in which you have things such as peace, uh, which then escalates to contest, 
which then goes on to conflict, hybrid war, all the way to war. And at what point in this sort of scale from peace to conflict is a major power like Canada or the United States going to get involved? And these are things you want to think about because major party intervention is a big deal. And so in having something that assesses the scenario and where it's going, such as an escalation track, is a good mechanism. And so that's really what you want to think about when you're designing games is whatever you're trying to get out, you want to have mechanisms and game components that reflect that. For instance, uh, similar to the scenario, if Canada wants to be involved, they have to think about what resources they have allocated to that situation. So you find a way to model and represent Canada's available foreign policy resources to a situation uh, that might require Canadian foreign intervention. And what do you mean by game mechanics? Uh, game mechanics are what make the game playable. So if you have a game like Monopoly, a uh, game mechanic is uh, being able to move at different areas of the board uh, and how you go about doing that. A uh, game mechanic is when you land on a certain property, you're able to buy the property. Uh, these are what we call game mechanics. And that's what allows us to model and represent real life as you, to the best of our abilities. You talked about a board. How does this war game work? How, are, how do they take place? So war games have a wide spectrum and you don't always necessarily need a board, but a very common type of war game might include a board or a platform of some kind to move pieces. Uh, so this could be a map in which you're moving uh, military units. So these are uh, pieces which are meant to represent something like a platoon of tanks, or even, for instance, you could represent uh, non-military aspects such as a civilian population in a refugee camp. Uh, so war games, uh, part of the reason they're so beneficial is it's really forcing you to think and visually represent uh, the issues which you're talking about and what you're trying to play out. So when you have a map and you have to move pieces around on a board, it's easier to illustrate uh, the problem, but it's also easier to think about the obstacles that might get in the way. So if I was launching a campaign in Canada, for instance, against the United States, um, and I'm trying to figure out how best to do that based on the available forces I have, I need to figure out what sort of routes that I'm gonna take, but I also need to think about, okay, what are my obstacles just in terrain? I need to think about, uh, you know, are there any major cities or towns that could potentially tip them off or where, you know, if we are in a you know, hypothetical scenario where we're battling the United States, uh, would American armed forces be camping out anywhere ready to ambush me? So playing out a scenario in which you have a thinking opponent on one side and you're trying to push around pieces of what you think you would do in that situation 
uh, is a really helpful way to creatively problem solve and to just develop your thinking a little bit further. Now that you've talked a bit about how to create a work, how do you explain your job to others? Uh, so I, I explain my job as I take or approach a problem and I try to think of a creative way in which to represent that so that the people that I am developing a game for are able to, in a sort of way, simulate what they're going to do or what they're thinking they're going to do. And I also try to present as many challenges as possible in order to screw up any plans or any thinking that they might have. You know, games are a great way to uh, highlight the worst case scenarios so that people can think about things that they may not have thought about before. And I really would put my job as taking something, trying to make it real so you can act it out and then trying to make it the worst possible situation so that you're the best prepared you can be. This sounds like a very specific area of political science. How did you get involved in war games? Uh, so it's definitely super niche. There isn't a lot of war gamers in Canada for sure. Uh, I was lucky enough that I was a student of Rex Bynum's and I had taken a few of his courses such as uh, Poly 450 where you play a couple games such as Aftershock which is a great game where you're uh, supposed to uh, coordinate efforts between the UN, the host country, uh, the military and NGOs in order to deliver aid to a country which has recently suffered from an earthquake. And I found that that was a really helpful way of illustrating uh, some of the problems and challenges that can arrive with humanitarian aid and its delivery. And then the more I played games in those sorts of classes, the more I really thought that these are a really good way to think creatively about a problem and to take what you've applied in class and to take the theories that you learn and sort of take for granted and to really be able to put them to the test. So for instance, we talk about in political science uh, in counterinsurgency operations, the hearts and minds approach. And I think, you know, when I was in political science, I thought, that was a very logical approach. It was basically to explain it a little bit further, the idea that if you go into a town and you uh, meet their needs, either by giving them water, uh, helping build a hospital, uh, you can win over their support and that they're a huge asset uh, in fighting terrorism. But then when you actually construct a game uh, about counterinsurgency operations and you have people playing the citizens and you have people playing the terrorist groups, you find it's not as easy as going into a town and giving them water. Because what you have in a game that you don't see is you have people bargaining, you have people negotiating. So what might end up happening is you go in and you promise the uh, citizens of a town one thing, and then 
the terrorist group or whoever's playing the terrorist group promises them an even better or a different thing. And then you find, oh, well, it didn't re really work as well as I thought. Or for instance, we forget, and I think that's a sort of hubris that comes with looking at things from a one-sided perspective, which often happens in academia, is that you know the citizens might have their own interests and goals. And they might also think, okay, well, I wanna improve my own status in life, so I'm gonna sell this water uh, to some other town and make money off of that. And then I might leave to Canada. And what I really found playing uh, games like that in my university career is that this is something I wanted to do more because it's only by putting ourselves into the perspective of other players, whether you know we're talking about uh, China, Russia, refugees, if you're not able to think like them, you won't really be able to effectively understand the situation and therefore make the situation better. So I think that's a really long-winded way of saying I got to play these games and I got really interested in games for what they're able to achieve where I felt there was a gap in regular academia. And so it's something that I then pursued further in order to think about how maybe one day the things that I learn in games or find places where I can develop games that they can what comes out of it can actually be applied to make a change or make a difference in Canadian policy or uh, behavior. Um, that I guess it's kind of a way of living through these conflicts without necessarily putting your life in that danger of actually going through the situation. Oh, that's a very good point. It's uh, lucky in a way, it's kind of a short-changed field experience without actually being in the field. Uh, so it's definitely a privilege to be able to run these games, but it's also, if you think about it as well, it's very cost effective to run a game instead of actually testing out these ideas in real life. Uh, and there are a lot of benefits to games in that way where, you know, even before you want to conduct a military expert uh, exercise or campaign, or if you want to propose something to uh, the PMO's office, because you really think that this is the foreign policy strategy they should use, you can test it out first and kind of pressure test it to make sure that it's exactly, uh, or that it's going to produce the desired results that you want. What kind of skills that you gained at McGill do you think translated the best at your work? Research would be a big one. Uh, in this job, you need to develop an, an understanding or an expertise in a new topic with every project. And it's something you usually have to do within a tight timeline. So the ability to read and digest and process information quickly uh, is a great skill that I learned in uh, political science at McGill. Uh, similarly, critical thinking skills is a big one. Uh, the ability to take something and then try to, or not take something at face value is really important. So understanding that just because it might seem this way or you're being told this, trying to think of ways to attack it, uh, to try to see if it's really correct or if there are holes or flaws in the theory or understanding 
is a really good skill to have, as well as, uh, you know, certain things we don't think of, like group projects. That means learning to collaborate with others, uh, writing reports after you've done a game. Well, that's really great if you've done essay writing. Going back to something you said a little bit back about being in the shoes of like your opponent or somebody else, how do you achieve that? Uh, the best way to achieve that is to, A, remove your biases. Uh, so whatever sort of understanding you have, you want to get rid of that and then really try to empathize and think, okay, well, if I was in this situation, what would I do and what would I want? And the understanding what you want might require some sort of research. Uh, you know, for instance, Russia, I think, often is portrayed in a lot of journal articles or in a lot of uh, foreign policy magazines as being this black and white sort of character. And don't get me wrong, Russia, the Russian state does a lot of trying to not, they do a lot of horrible things. They do a lot of anti-democratic things, but in order to accurately play and portray Russia, you have to be able to remove those biases of, oh, they're, uh, uh, it's an authoritarian state, it's oppressing its people, uh, it has a lot of problematic laws and policies, uh, such as cracking down on LGBT rights. And you have to be able to put yourself in the position and say, okay, I'm Russia, uh, I'm a state, and I want to uh, do well economically. Uh, I want to feel secure. And when you start to think like a state, then you can see actions of NATO, for instance, every time NATO decides to increase its military presence in the Baltic, or when it starts conducting a military exercise in the Arctic as a direct threat against yourself. And then you can react as what would be natural to that state, given all the things you know about it and given its past behaviors, but also just as how you probably would react rationally. Okay, that makes sense. So try to avoid the sort of caricature portrayal that sometimes these characters are giving in the media would be. Exactly. There is definitely a sort of a single-minded or narrow-minded idea of how state should behave. A great example is we talk about sanctions a lot in political science. And there's a reason why sanctions are very popular in foreign policy is because all things considered, it sends a signal that the action's not okay. And it is relatively cost effective uh, and doesn't often entail any further action. However, if you're playing a game and one of your actions is to propose sanctions, if you're playing a character whose sanctions have just been uh, imposed upon them, you then start to act as you would a human being who can empathize that, well, now I have little options and I can't justify because my own domestic opinion may fall uh, just giving in and running with my tail between my legs. 
no, I have to find a way to either undermine these san sanctions uh, to argue against them, or I can act like a lot of animals do when they're backed in a corner and I might even up the ante and lash out and escalate further. And what's interesting is that even though sanctions are often used, if you actually look at the data, most of the time, the conflict escalates after sanctions are imposed. And I think that's really difficult for people to understand until they're trying to put themselves in the position of a state who has had sanctions imposed against them. And then you understand that for many of these states, they don't often feel like they have any other options uh, than to escalate. And they also feel self-righteous in whatever they are doing. So while we might not think it's right to, for instance, annex a portion of Ukraine, they might have their own reasons for doing so. And looking from that perspective, you can understand why imposing sanctions won't actually change anything about the situation and might in fact exacerbate it. You've mentioned getting in the shoes of your opponent, uh, measurements of like attacks and how things work. What do you think is the most important part of a war game or of designing a war game? Uh, the most important part of designing a war game, in my opinion, is probably research. You want everything you do to be backed up by evidence and real world data. Uh, whether that's qualitative data or quantitative data, you don't want to just go in and start designing a game without anything to back it up or because if it's not based in reality, then what is the game for besides fun? Mm -hmm. uh, so you really want to do your best to make sure that your game models reality as closely as possible without making it uh, too difficult or too convoluted to play. And uh, this is done by a lot of play testing. So, you know, you design a game and you take all of that research and you start putting it into models and mechanics. Uh, and then if you play and play and play and you find that the things that seem realistic or the things that would happen in real life are the things that are happening, that's when you know that you've got a good game. And you can usually check that by looking at, for instance, historically, has this happened? You know, if I do this in the game, uh, for instance, if I uh, deliver humanitarian aid uh, to a refugee population, does that usually mean that their level of well-being increases? Yes. But you still want to make sure, you know, at what point does that happen? You want to check that back with real world data uh, so that things aren't ridiculous. When you talk about war games, I'm picturing a lot of people in a room. How has your job been affected by the pandemic and the fact that everything has to be long distance? So although there is a lot of things that are missed, when you can't conduct a war game face-to-face -face in a room. Uh, you don't get as many personal interactions. You don't get the nuances that might come from those social in interactions. We've actually managed to host and facilitate and design many effective and 
games, which have had some good outcomes uh, for the unit as a whole and for our clients. Uh, distributed wargaming uh, is basically uh, finding ways, particularly through technology, to host and uh, facilitate games. So we've done that through different uh, computer softwares and programs. For instance, we've used something called Vassal in order to digitize games that were previously analog or you know, uh, board games. And we've run them through uh, things like Skype. Uh, we've also managed to have uh, socially distanced games uh, among different areas of the city, also through using uh, telecommunication channels like Skype. And in a way, COVID has allowed us to reach out to more people than ever before. So I think that the pandemic, although has made it harder uh, at times to conduct war games, has actually given us a lot in terms of expanding our uh, reach and allowing more people than ever before to participate in war games. Uh, so that's a great thing that's emerged from the pandemic, as well as there are certain aspects moving forward in the field of war game where we might see more and more hybrid war games, meaning that parts of their component might be digital and parts might be analog. And there are great things that computers can give us. Uh, they can simulate uh, certain events maybe better. They can speed up adjudication processes. Uh, so we might see more and more use of technology as an aid or a tool for regular war games um, as time goes on because of the pandemic. It's kind of ironic, right? That we're all constrained in our houses, but at the same time, we're able to reach people across the globe with no problem. Exactly. So uh, this has given us the opportunity without the cost to reach out and to talk to other war gamers, uh, you know, in the United States, across Canada. And, you know, that sort of collaboration just really expands people's horizons. And so I think that is a great thing that's emerged from, unfortunately, a period where we've all been feeling very self-isolated. In the field that you work in, I think, I assume most of the time they're older uh, white men. What do you think is the bigger challenge or is, is it even a challenge? Do you think it's maybe the gender gap or the age gap? Uh, so I will say that there are definitely gaps uh, in diversity in the wargaming community, uh, not just in gender, but also in color and age, as you've described. Uh, I have to say, I've been pretty fortunate with my uh, work where even though I am 20 years younger, roughly, than my youngest coworker, uh, they've all been very quick to a mentor me, as well as they're very open to hear about the thoughts and opinions that I've had. However, I will say that uh, not with this experience that there are issues, and I think that this can even be internal to people who are in historically marginalized communities to make themselves feel heard. Uh, I think that a lot of times people that are considered outsiders to any profession uh, entering that profession can have difficulty um, speaking up 
they can have difficulty uh, because they might not have, because of their outsider status, they might not have the breadth or length of experience as their coworkers or their peers. And because of that, it can be very difficult to feel like you're on the same footing or to be taken as seriously. And so a very important thing is to find allies in your community and in your profession and to work to make yourself be heard regardless. And, you know, to take all of those doubts that you might have and to really push forward and acknowledge that, you know, you're here for a reason, that you offer a good perspective and that uh, you might not look like everybody else in the room, but that doesn't mean that you don't have as much, if not more to say. One last question before we wrap up. What advice could you give to someone, to a student that's interested in working in wargaming design? Uh, play as many games as you can. The only way to be a good wargame designer is to be familiar with the different types of games, with different mechanics. Uh, it's only then that you can really think creatively, that you really uh, are able to take a topic and to be able to pull from all of the different uh, knowledges uh, that are available to you to produce something great. Uh, so definitely playing a lot of games. Uh, besides that, you know, it doesn't help to brush up on your uh, military lingo. A lot of acronyms that are used if you're working with the military and trying to work and develop war games. Um, so definitely going through a glossary uh, to understand what SIPREPs and ROE and everything else means. And then last but not least, I would just say, you know, acknowledge that you don't know everything and just work hard to fill the gaps and don't be afraid to ask people to help and for help. Thank you very much. This has been a really cool conversation. Thank you. No, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the McGill International Review for more up-to-date insights and analysis of global issues and international affairs.